trauma. Everyone has it. No one talks about it. It seems easier to stay silent, ignore it, or stuff it than it does to honor it, learn from it, and finally heal. Trauma is debilitating, yet so often we suffer in silence. Trauma is not meant to be battled alone, and we are no longer going to suffer in silence. Together, we are creating a safe place to speak, to share our stories, and grow our strength as we heal. Together, we are giving a voice to those who have been silenced, bringing darkness into light, and letting God use our stories. Today, we find ourselves again. We relight our spark and let it light up the world. Stop SIS is a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating on issues of trauma and trafficking, as well as the amazing power of the healing journey. Welcome to Stop SIS. Hey, 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 you guys, welcome back to uh, Stop Suffering in Silence. My name is Denise Walsh, and I'm here with co-host Rachel Timothy. Stop Suffering in Silence was created because we want to create a place to talk about the hard stuff. We know that trauma, mental illness, addiction are often swept under the rug and stuffed, right, until we, we explode. And finally, when we do start talking about it, we realize that other people have experienced something similar. And so today we want to kind of take the rug off of mental illness and what that looks like to live with somebody in your family that has mental illness and how to potentially set boundaries or support them in the process. Um, and so Rachel, I know we kind of chatted about before we pressed, pressed record is uh, one of the reasons why this conversation came up is because I have a client who is wants to create resources for family members with mental illness. And I have several clients that I'm working with right now in dream life coaching who are needing to put boundaries up with their adult children. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me when we talk a lot about survivors putting up boundaries with their parents or families or perpetrators or whatever, but it reminded me that the other way sometimes has to happen too, where parents need to put boundaries up with their adult children because their adult children are not either being safe, they're not stable, and they're really invading their boundaries. One thing you said to me recently, you said about a friend, you said, you know, we love her with boundaries, which to me kind of means we love her in arm's length a little Mm -hmm. bit. And it got me thinking and I thought, you know what? I love everybody with boundaries because even if my mom were to invade my boundaries, I would have to say, no, this is my boundary. And so I think everyone, whether they're a good friend or my mom or my dad or my sister, if they're invading my boundaries, then I have to be more firm on what my boundaries are. And so basically I'm living with boundaries with everyone. And I've learned that's the most healthy thing for a relationship. Like to love somebody is to have boundaries. Yeah. Healthy for both sides. Right. Right. And so I think when we have the discussion of how to set healthy boundaries, whether it's with 
a child who has mental illness or addiction and is in their own um, spiral mm-hmm. or with a parent who's invaded and, you know, pushed boundaries. I think in order to be a healthy person, we need to have boundaries. We need to know what they are and we get to practice communicating that to others. Yeah. And I keep thinking to myself that it, it's something that we also get to teach our children Yeah, because as they grow up, they will experience all sorts of, you know, maybe mental illness from friends or addictions or whatever, and understanding boundaries and how to set those and why they're important. Oh, that I think every kid needs that. We need to make like a boundaries 101 class in high school. Yeah, we do. <laughs> because this, okay, so I got another one. This is not like a diagnosable mental illness, but it's certainly a theme in our society. People pleasing. Ooh, ooh, how guilty. Many, yes. Well, how many of us say yes to something we don't really want to do? Out of fear of letting somebody down. I hate disappointing somebody. Even when I hear stories of somebody having to like stand up to in a conversation, like my anxiety starts because I'm like, oh, I just hate the thought of disappointing somebody. Right. And so I think boundaries are are powerful for everybody to practice. So we aren't, you know, um, I want to say like drug around by what life brings. Like we know, you know, just because someone asked me to go to the store doesn't mean I need to go to the store. I can decide how I spend my time. And I think those those are things we get to practice. And I know I practiced this when I did my bodybuilding competition as I was really good at saying yes to everyone. Mm. I don't like to be bored. So I'm like, totally, I'll come. Totally, we'll go do that, you know. And my husband and children would say, we don't need to do everything, mom. <laughs> but what else are we going to do? <laughs> So, but when I was doing my bodybuilding competition, I had clear priorities. Yeah. I needed to drink a gallon of water. I wasn't going to eat sugar. I'm not having wine at dinner. I had to work out two to three hours a day based on whatever part of the program I was in. And so based on those priorities, I could set clear boundaries that say, no, this is not helping me towards my goal right now. Yeah. And it made you more successful. and. Helped other people around you understand. Like they didn't have to sit and wonder, I wonder why she's not going out with this. Like they know because your boundaries were clear. And I could say, no, this doesn't work for me right now. So there's a couple ways that there's there's physical boundaries, there's um, sexual boundaries, emotional boundaries, spiritual boundaries, financial. There's a lot of ways, time boundaries that we can kind of put up. And Mm -hmm. I think the first thing that we get to decide or kind of figure out is what our priorities are, what we want life to look like. So then we can decide what our boundaries are too. What do you think? Yeah. And I think sometimes we have to let go of, I can't think of the right word, but um, I don't know. I think of Christians and grace. And I think it almost seems like boundaries and grace can't coincide. And it's really, uh, you know, divorce and divorcing somebody who is abusive and has a mental illness and, you know, is spiraling. Like we get caught up in how can I fix it? How can I help them instead of the best thing for everybody in this moment is boundaries. And when I was learning a little bit about boundaries uh, not too long ago, it talked about how God created boundaries. 
there's boundaries that stop the ocean from becoming onto the land. And like, there's boundaries all over the place because boundaries are what help you function and, and be healthy relationships together. And I don't know that, but. Well, and, and boundaries keep, make it very clear. And I think that, I think it allows people to own themselves. You know, if I give you the power that you make me mad or because of you, I lost my job or you need to come over and fix me. You know, there's a lot of boundaries being pulled at here. And the reality with that is I'm not taking responsibility for my own life. And so when you set boundaries, if somebody is continuing to, you know, pull at you, you're giving them a chance to take responsibility for themselves. And everybody needs a chance to do that. Because that's how they will heal. Yes. And that's how they will know I need to get help. And if they don't recognize that, then that's on them. Right. Right. So knowing, go ahead. How many, and, and I know you won't have like this set answer, but let's say it is an adult with an adult. How many times? You hear in the Bible, 70 times seven or whatever, you know, how many times do you allow somebody to cross boundaries with you before you say, okay, this is not working? Yeah. And I I think it depends on the relationship. That's for sure. A friend, um, I, a a friend would, I would be able to cut much faster than a family member. Um, But a family member, even at some point you say, this is not the way I want to live. Your crisis is not my crisis and your crisis is bleeding into me. And so I have to set a boundary. Do you do slow boundaries with family members, like slowly fade back or is it like, nope, we're cut off? Well, again, and I think it depends on the relationship. I think you want to be first communicate the boundary. And why? And yeah, like this is what I need. This is what I expect. This is how I need the relationship to work. Um, And if it's not happening, then I think, I mean, if violence is involved, you guys, that's a hard no, right? If if there's violence, if there's, then that's a hard line. Get, get out, get safe. No matter how many times they apologize and say it's never going to happen again. Like, no, that's the domestic violence cycle. And addiction is similar because it's like, oh, um, everything's fine. And then the person goes on a binge and comes back and now they're either angry or absent or whatever. And then, oh, I'm so sad. Like, I'm sorry. And honeymoon phase, it won't happen again. And now I'm a binge and it goes. Mm-hmm. And so domestic violence is similar to that. When you're on that cycle, um, you need to do something different in order for the cycle to break. Mm. Yeah. Cause you will continue to be a doormat until you decide not to be a doormat and then they will, they will have to, and they'll be forced to change or leave. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's what you can say. Um, and I think this was helpful when I was learning about this to, to know what words to say, because sometimes you go, well, how do I kick someone out? Or how do I set these boundaries? Or how do I say I'm no longer talking to you? Um, one, if you're in a domestic violence situation is just to say, you need to leave right now. Not. I want you to go. No, well, you, you need please. to leave right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Firm, bold. If and that person, you, not, bold. yeah. You need 15 minutes to pack your stuff and get out. Short, we're not, I mean, and I think this is communication 
201, maybe not 101, but 201, um, is like when you're in a combat with somebody, an argument, short to the point sentences. You are not emotional. You're not giving a lecture. You're not talking about how bad it is. You're saying you need to get out right now. Mm -hmm. If they won't get out, then you call the police to escort them. Yeah. One thing that I've researched recently as far as um, mental illness and everything goes, if you're considering narcissism as a mental illness, is they say, do not argue with them. Do not point out their narcissism. It will not end well. Whereas other mental illnesses, depression, anxiety, you probably, I mean, that's safe, but narcissism, do not try to confront them. No, no. And I just think it's an argument that's going nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to be able to say that for them to go, oh, you're right. Okay. You know? And so at that point, you just say, my first, and because you know your priorities, my first priority is to keep me and my children safe. So you need to leave. Um, But even with, I mean, when we think about time boundaries, hey, you want to go to the mall? Hey, you want to go do this? Hey, you want to go do that? Um, We as people pleasers need to learn how to say no to that too. So it's a, hey, shoot, that's not going to work in my schedule right now, or I'm not feeling that today, or let's try again tomorrow. Or, um, you know, there can be low grade no's that we place and we practice saying that's not going to work. You know, sorry, I'm not available, whatever it is. And then there's these high grade no's you need to leave right now. And so what's your thoughts then in the other sense, if somebody is setting boundaries with you, is that a point where you, okay, I need to take an internal look here and figure out yeah. there's something I'm missing about my relationships. Yeah. I'm I'm picking up what you're laying down, friend. Yeah. Not you're mean. Right. Or everybody's against me. Right. But maybe I need to take an internal look here. Right. And I think the question would be, is everything okay? Yeah. You know, have I done like, is everything okay? Because what I wouldn't want is somebody to set boundaries because they're depressed and they just don't want to hang out. And now they're like, so I would want to ask about that, but I also would, would, would be, I want to be open to, am I invading your space? So is everything okay? And, and see if there could be a conversation about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess having the understanding an expectation that when you are talking with somebody who's battling a mental illness, if they are not doing the things that they need to do, like the getting help, going to counseling, taking the medicine, then these conversations might not go like they're not helpful. No, no, no. I mean, I think that's the reality, right? If somebody is an active mental illness, meaning they're not treated or an active addiction um, or even a personality disorder, I would I would say they're you're saying the sky is blue. They say the sky is black. You're living in two different worlds. So it's like not helpful to have a conversation if somebody's in a manic state, let's say, or mm-hmm. you know, binging. And you need to get help yourself. Yeah, I think that's the thing too. Is you know that's why Al-Anon exists. You know, there's AA for addicts and there's Al-Anon for supporters because supporters need support. Yeah. And I think it's great that your friend is wanting to write a book about how to help supporters of children who have mental illness because yeah, it's probably not talked about near enough. Yeah. I have my notes from our call yesterday. So I'll tell you her, her, um, her framework that she's creating. And then when she gets it all done, we'll have her back and interview her, but she's 
the framework we brainstormed last night for the book and the program and anything that she creates was education. Mm -hmm. So what is mental illness? You know, because oftentimes parents are like, what's happening? We don't even understand. Uh, And so education about mental illness, behaviors, all that kind of stuff, Um, expectations. So life is not going to look the same that you imagined it. Yeah. How do we grieve that? Um, have realistic expectations, that kind of thing. And then the third E was effects. So acknowledging that this does impact and affect my life. Mm -hmm. And so coming to terms with that. So then we talked about grief, resentment, taking your thoughts captive, really talking about how I can take care of myself as a person in the midst of uncertainty, chaos, or, you know, whatever's happening around you. Yeah, because I can imagine as a parent of multiple kids, and if you have one that's battling with a mental illness or an addiction or whatever, you almost feel like you have to choose. Because in order for you to be as healthy as you can be for your children, you know, you're going to have to have healthy boundaries, which feels like in a way you're not choosing your child that's battling right now. That's not the case, but that is the lie that we might fall or the trap we might fall into. Um, Because truly what that child needs is a chance to fall down and pick themselves back up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there any words that you've learned to practice when it comes to boundaries? I heard one recently. It's not mind boggling, but it said no is a complete sentence. And I, I mean, I've always kind of been, Uh, I've always kind of known that if you try to explain your no, then the person's going to persuade you into realizing you were wrong or whatever. And I'm easily persuaded. And so if I can just simply say no and not give them any um, information to try to persuade me, then that is best. Yeah. No, no, thank you. It's not going to work today. Mm -hmm. Not aligned with my goals. Yep. (laughs) Um, But even as a kid, how if we have our children practice setting boundaries, I think they could just say, shoot, are not going to work. Yeah. You know, and, and looking back at my life and when I was in my deepest, darkest times, there were people who had to set boundaries with me and it was painful. Uh, And I, I remember feeling like, see, something else is wrong with me. Like I can't even, it's not healthy for people to be around me. But it opened my eyes to who I wanted to be and the friend I wanted to be and the mom I wanted to be and the wife I wanted to be. And even though it was super painful, you know, it needed to happen for them and for me. So how did those people set boundaries with you? What did they say? Um, well, uh, I mean, they were, they were just not around anymore. Really. There wasn't too much of a conversation. Um, I'm trying to think, but I just remember like their life went on and mine stayed where it was and I picked up on it and I was jealous and I, it hurt and it felt like, you know, our family was a little bit ousted and and it was painful because that's not what I wanted. That's not the person I wanted to be. But I wasn't healthy at that time. I really wasn't. And I needed to come to grips to that. Right. 
Well, and I think that if you are the one that's kind of crossing people's boundaries, maybe needing them to fix or help or be the one to save you, um, then that can be a sign. Like, I mean, that could be, it sounds like that ended up opening your eyes to the fact that, okay, I need to figure out how to save myself. Yeah. And honestly, it felt impossible until I was forced to do it. Okay. Yeah. Because nobody wants to go through the muck on their own. No, no. And, and most likely you've been through things where you have felt abandoned as it is. And this feels like another abandonment, but really it's not right. It's a, you can do this moment. Yeah. Yeah. You are capable moment. Yeah, it is. Because we know people that have had crazy, horrible childhoods who've experienced the worst of the worst who've, and they are fully functional adults today. Like it's not a death sentence. And so I think that's the hope that parents and friends want to give to somebody who's struggling is like, all right, you can get through this and you can build the inner strength. So you don't get back to this low of a place again. Agreed. Yeah. It's not a death sentence. It might be a life sentence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's not a death sentence. Oh, that's another interesting conversation. <laughs> yes, you'll probably always be con- working through it. Yes. As we all are always rowing and moving and healing and all the things. It's not over till the fat lady sings, but um but <laughs> but still it's not a death sentence. You can still live a thriving life. Yes. And for those who like don't see it, like they've only been brought up in that chaos and and it's hard for them, like it feels like a fairy tale that that life is possible. But if you are one of those people, I promise it doesn't matter where you came from, you can live that life. You can get help. And so we've kind of moved from like the parent and the friend setting boundaries to the, (laughs) to the, or the, I don't know person in crisis. Yeah. But I think both people need to say, all right, what do I really want? What is my life? What do I want my life to look like? What are the top priorities? And really start setting some of those internal boundaries of like, this is what I want my life to look like. So then they can take steps in order to get there, whether that's being clear with people who are consistently in crisis and needing them all of the time, or it's the person who is in crisis and needs to figure out how to manage their own emotions, build mm-hmm. their coping skills and their inner strength yes. and take steps that are helpful to themselves. Yes. Well, I hope this conversation was helpful. You guys, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I know um, if you've got conversations that you want us to have, we're doing research on brainwashing and cults. We're doing research on personality disorders. We're doing research on on all these little rabbit trails that we think are interesting, but we want to know what you think is interesting as well. So please leave your thoughts in the comments or leave a review and let us know. Um, We've got several things happening within Stop Sis. We've got speaking engagements. We're pretty much booked for the rest of the year, which is really fun. We've got a survivor retreat next year happening. Um, we have a reflecting ownership group that we're going to start this fall. So a lot of fun things are happening. Be sure to join our newsletter, which all of the links will be in the show notes. So you can uh, stay in touch with us and 
just know what's happening in the steps this world, because whether you want to become a prayer partner or you're a survivor and you're interested in the programs, uh, we want to hear from you. So thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this powerful episode of Stop Suffering in Silence. If you are interested in booking Rachel to speak at your school, your church, or on your podcast, then please email openblindeyes at protonmail.com. If you are interested in sponsoring a survivor on their healing journey and would like to donate to Stop Sis, then please check out the link in the description box or show notes below, or you can email stopsis at protonmail.com. And finally, if you are currently suffering in silence or you know somebody who is, whether they're dealing with a current trauma or one from the past, then we will always recommend that you reach out to your local resources and find a counselor that you can trust because nobody is meant to suffer alone. Have an amazing week and thank you for being here.